says, get that India, big boy. Well, good morning to the Blue and Gold Army, wherever you may be at this time of year. Uh, it's me, John, aka Forty Twenty, and it isn't quite the night before Christmas, but it's certainly quiet in the House of the Eels, given that the team is on holidays until the New Year. Still, we couldn't leave you without one last podcast for twenty twenty. And joining me, as always, in a surprisingly action-packed podcast, uh, is the ever festive sixties, mate. How's it going? Mate, it's going very well, and I think given what's been transpiring across Greater Sydney, we'd have to say that wherever those Parramatta fans are in Greater Sydney, there's probably a good chance they're at home. Yeah, unfortunately, we also had that, uh, wouldn't even be secondary at this point, the tertiary or quaternary uh, outbreak of COVID-19, um, suspected to be from a flight attendant or some sort of flight staff. So yeah, if you're in those affected areas, unfortunately, just got to bunker down. Um, but yeah, we're, we're pretty used to that at this point in time, aren't we, mate? It's been a, a long yeah. year. <laughs> All those safety protocols, which are enforced for good reason. Um, unfortunately, it's going to impact some people's Christmas. But uh, It is, mate. But while ever there's Parramatta to talk about, the world's just that little bit brighter and we've got a bit to talk about. Yeah. When I looked at our run sheet and I'm actually surprised there's that much stuff to talk about. But yeah, just trying to sneak in that last podcast before the new year. And yeah, a lot to go over. Um, we're going to have a, a big guest come on in shortly, and then we've got your training wrap. We're going to talk about some important positional questions, uh, sort of do a quick forecast to our top 17, and then there's a sort of a series of theme questions for the season. So uh, a nice, fun episode for everyone listening. So let's jump into it, and in the spirit of giving at this time of year, um, we're very thankful for Bernie Gurr giving us some of his time once again um, to join him for the last podcast of 2020. Bernie, mate, welcome. Morning, John. Craig, how are we? Yeah, doing really well, Yeah, man. very well. Uh, Bernie, we're going to take a little bit of a, a, a very, very quick look back before we start the look ahead. So I just wanted to narrow, get you to narrow it down. Can you give us your what was your highlight for the Eels for 2020? Well, I think, you know, let's start with the obvious. We finished third. Um you know, we had a straight set exit in the playoffs, but to finish third in the NRL any year, particularly this 2020 year, which had its own challenges with it, um, it was a terrific effort. There's no question about that. So, you know, when I thought about, you know, what what were the highlights, that was a clear highlight. You, you know, you don't run third every year in the NRL. It's, so it's a, that's, that's an excellent achievement. You know, there's a number of other things that mightn't go into the, you know, remember for a lifetime highlights, but there are things that, continued the, the evolution of our club. Number one, I like the improvement and development of some individual players. We we had four players, Junior Paulo, Nathan Brown, Clint Cutherson and Regan Campbell-Gillo get selected in Origin. We haven't had that for a long, long time. That, to me, was a highlight. It demonstrated that we're getting those players that are representative standard players. I thought our recruits, RCG and uh, Ryan Madison particularly, really contributed um, to the club. Um the first nine weeks, we led we led the competition. So, you know, that that's a highlight in and of itself. There are a few other little ones, too, that, you know, I remember a couple of cover tackles from Dylan Brown there in the middle of the season were just, just unbelievable and, you know, demonstrated what a special player and a special character Dylan is. You know, even Hayes Dunstan getting his first run in first grade 
in a playoff game and he's handling it very, very well in a very, very high-pressure situation. And, of course, just the week-to-week inspiration of Clint Gutherson, we, we tend to take that for granted. Um, Gutho is a terrific He's a terrific player. He, he mightn't have the top-level elite athleticism of some of the other fullbacks or backs, but I tell you what, you wouldn't swap him for anyone at the moment. And just his week-to-week consistently A-plus performances, you know, to me that was a highlight. So there's some of the things that popped into my mind. That's um the 12 Days of Christmas of Parramatta Highlights. Um, very well done, Bernie. That was comprehensive. Uh, you got anything on that, Craig? Your sixties? Um, yeah, I, I don't think I can go past any of those. Uh, there were certainly those moments from Dylan Brown were incredible. Those cover tackles from behind, and then I have to agree with Bernie Hayes getting his debut right at the end of the season. Under the circumstances that he did, was quite remarkable how well he went. One of the other things that I did think of was, and this probably wasn't a highlight, but it was I think really meaningful, was just the ongoing development of Murad and Iacore. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's a terrific kid and a terrific player. I was just really pleased to see he He's now a legitimate first grader. And you know, yeah. before last year, I was raving about these great young Bronco forwards and I'm, I was looking at them and thinking, well, there's not many there that I had in front of Murata Neocore so far as a you know an up and coming young forward in the NRL, and we're lucky to have him in Parramatta. So really pleased because for me, Murata's a lot. He's he's in your top seventeen every week. There's no question about that. His contribution, and I know my a coach really likes him, admires what he's done as well. And plus, he's got a great training ethic. So it may not stand out as a highlight, but these things, such as the development of these players, it really. That that's where your club evolved from a good club into a very good club. Yeah, he was undoubtedly. Well, that's actually gonna. Sorry, John. Uh, I was just going to say that uh, that's that's almost a a great segue into the next question that John's going to throw at you because we're going to put you on the spot. Yeah. So um, following up the the breakout you know performance of Murata where he sort of solidified himself as a, a top seventeen uh, pick week in week out and you know a, almost like a bench superstar. We're going to go into a, a tricky question where we need you to forecast what you think your top 17 is going to look like, uh, presumably for round one, um, heading into 2021. And there's, you know, looking when we look at the team, there's actually a surprising amount of holes because obviously you talk about Michael Jennings being unavailable for selection right now. Uh, but uh, between uh, just sheer competition for spots on the bench and, um, and yeah, just like the, the issues in the back line regarding Jennings and, and I suppose the health and, and fitness of... Um, some of the wingers, um, the top 17 doesn't pick itself as easily as you might think. Yeah, I know where you're coming from. I think when I looked at that, I thought, I, I, I still think if everyone's fit and healthy, and I'm going to make the assumption that Michael's not there, I'm not saying that's fair. yes or no. Yeah. It's it's more the fact that in order to prove his innocence, it's going to take a while. So let's take the assumption that Michael's not there and you know, let's, you know we, we wish Michael well, of course. So, I think there's 13 players that have pretty much certain to get there. Gutherson, Cedar, and Ferguson on the wings. Blake, uh, one of the centres. Uh, Dylan Brown, Moses, front row of uh, Regan Campbell, Gillard, Reed Marnie, Junior Paul. I think we'll start with Lane and Madison in the back row. At least they'll be in the they'll be in the 17 anyway. Nathan Brown, of course. And then I think our, I do think Murata will be a guarantee on the bench. So the real challenges here is the left centre spot if Michael's not available. And I think you've got 
you know, Michael Oldfield and Opacek as candidates. Um, Oldfield's, you know, he's 30 years of age. He's, um, you know, he's had a he, he's had a good career. He's got genuine speed. Um, he could handle it, although they may see him more as a winger. I think I think he can play wing centre. Opacek obviously had a number of games last year. He's 26. He's 100 kilos, so he's a pretty big body. So I think what it'll come down to, it may come down to Brad's assessment of who the better defensive player is out on that left side. Because I'm taking the assumption he'll leave Wonger at, at right centre. Now, I know Wonger in the past has played some left centre at Penrith, but I'm just taking an assumption he'll play right centre. So it'll be up to basically Oldfield and Opacek, and he may go for the player that he thinks um, is defensively better. That's just my thought there, which leaves... There's three spots on the bench, I think. Um, and I think there's six players that'll be going for those spots. I think there's... Obviously, uh, Oregon Kafusi, Isaiah Papaligi, Nathan Roach, Bryce Cartwright, Hipgrave, and um, I think that's your six here. Roach, Kafusi, Papaligi, Hipgrave, Stone, and Cartwright. Mm-hmm. So there, there's six, I think, that have got to, you've got to fit into the bench to accompany Morata and Neokore on the bench. And I think it depends on the depends on the strategy and the composition of the bench. Like, do you want to go with four forwards? Well, we're loaded there. We've got a number of forwards. We can, we can put four forwards on there. I'd like to think Orange is going to be one of them because he's a legitimate front rower. So I'd like to think he would be one of them. We've got a little shortage of front rowers. So it depends on how Brad plans to do this. If you're going to play Murata, um as a middle off the bench, um, you've got Murata in Oregon. You've also got Hitgrave who can play in the middle and also... You know, Ray Stone's tough as cheek, great defensive player. You could play in the middle. That would allow Cartwright to be your edge bench player. So I think it comes down to, you know, just what Brad's thinking is around. Do you want two front rowers like Kabusi and Papalee, one back rower in Cartwright, and one hooker? And, of course, the, the, the issue there would be if Nathan Roach continued to impress, because I hear he's you know, impressing at training, you could have two front rowers such as Kabusi and Papalee. You could have a back rower such as a Cartwright. And you could have a, a hooker such as Nathan and Nathaniel Roach. So I think it depends on the strategy. We've got I bet, the good thing is I think we've got a number of players there that no matter what composition and strategy Brad adopts, that we've got the players that can give us an impact off the bench. We're a little short of front rowers, but there's what I call legitimate front rowers. It's Murata, Papalee, Hip Greystone, they can all play in the centre. And of course, Sean Lane can play in the centre if the, if Brad elects to play, you know, Bryce Cartwright on an edge. So I think we're reasonably comfortable. To me, the big issue is bench strategy, which will drive composition of the bench. And I think it's it's also interesting that last year, Ray Stone became the dummy half option off the bench as a backup for Reed, whereas this year they've got Joey Lussick and uh, Nathaniel Roach as options to include in the bench, obviously, Nathaniel is going to require an upgrade from uh, the uh, development. Yeah, to, uh, and I suppose that's another topic is that we are now sitting at 27 players in the top 30, theoretically 26 around the Michael Jennings scenario. So uh, the prospects there that they could go out and recruit to add Prop forward depth, they might be looking at, um, at some stage, Sam Hughes gets a debut. Dave Hollis is probably a little bit behind because of the fact that he didn't stay in the NRL bubble during the last year. 
So his debut may be a little bit behind Sam Hughes at some stage. So um, I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. think anyone they'll bring in now will be looking at being a starter in round one of the top 17. I, I just don't think there's players no, out of them. No. We'd have to make it rather significant move, and it was just let Daniel Alvaro go in that space. Nathaniel Roach, is, he's sort of the wild card because obviously <coughs> he continues to impress and he's a gifted athlete. He's, he can be a bit of a point of difference to read and also give Reed a spell, which I think over the course of the season is very important for, for, for Reed as well to make maintain his uh, high level of contribution, to give him a spell and bring on someone that has a point of difference such as Nathaniel Roach. I think it'll be productive for us. Any of the new recruits that we know of thus far, who do you think we're going to get the best value from? Well, that's difficult because, you know, having, you know, worked on a lot of salary caps over the years and roster composition, value depends on what you're paying. And you could be paying someone 200 and it's great, so if you go to pay the 350, it doesn't, it doesn't work. Um, what I will say is that we've had an off-season uh, recruitment program dedicated to filling out our role players. There's, re- there's really been no big name signings where we'd say, okay, that guy's he's gonna make it he's gonna make a, a definite difference to our team. Now we've we've bought some role players that have an element of gamble in them. And what I mean by that is they're not big financial gambles, which is the good thing from what I understand. We haven't made big financial gambles on any of these groups, but the upside in players like uh, Nathaniel Roach, uh, Papa Leahy, uh, Bryce Cartwright and Hipgrave, there's there's good upside there. If you, we've got them relatively cheap within the salary cap if they can find the form that matches their talent, then you've got a capability there of getting absolute value. Now, Roach is very talented. He's a point of difference to Reed. If we can decrease Reed's time, that's good for Reed. Now, Cartwright's played 112 first grade minutes. The talent with him is not the issue. Um, the issue with Bryce, to you know, be quite blunt, is that he needs to commit to the collision um, in the attack and defence. And I don't think it's, you know, he's proven, you don't play 112 games if you're not tough, so he's proven he can be tough, but he's got to do that consistently and commit to the collision. And if he's successful, he opens up to a lot of options. For example, he can play on the edge and Lane could go to the middle. Now, I'm personally a big fan of Sean Lane on the middle. Sorry, Sean Lane on the edge. I love him on the left edge. I don't think we used him to his optimum level last year. I'm also a believer that there's a transition for players that can play on the edge before they go to the middle. I like them to sort of max out on the edge before they go to the middle. Because once you get into the middle, it's a physical bash-up. You very rarely go back to the edge because you, you physically you physically lose that little bit of mobility you need to play on the edge. But the good news is that Bryce Cartwright will give us not only a level of talent, but he'll give us a, a little bit of flexibility with Brad to move them around. Keegan Hipgrave, no question his commitment. Now, he's sort of the opposite to, to Bryce at the moment. And like I said, I'm a big fan of the recruitment of Bryce Carwood. I think he can get back to where he was when he was a, 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 a better player. With Hipgrave, there's no question his commitment to the collision. He's, he, the problem with him is he's a bit loose. He needs a bit more discipline around his game. He's good for one or two penalties or one or two drop balls a game. And he's 23 years of age. To me, he's got a little bit of a young Nathan Brown in um, yep. A bit of a, bit of a firebrand, legitimately tough, loves the contest, very competitive, but he needs to refine his game. Now, Nathan Brown's done that over the last three or four years with Brad's assistance. And I just see a little bit of young Nathan Brown about his grade. So I think he could he could be a positive contributor. And first grade won't intimidate him at all. Papa Lee's very promising. He's big, strong. He's mobile. He's got good foot speed. He's played 60 
I read somewhere he's played 63 games and he's only 22 years of age. So where they play him, edge or middle, has a, a vital impact on, on that uh, bench composition. Michael Oldfield, I've always been a fan of. I've, I've really thought he was a really good, solid first-grade player. He's got 30 tries in 54 games. That's that's a pretty good strike rate. He can get the ball over the line. He has legitimate speed. So he may be better suited to the wing and centre, but that's something Brad will work out through the off-season. Off a check, I don't know a lot about. I saw him play. He's a big fella. He's 100 kilo. He's 26, so he's had a few opportunities. Um, I've got a few doubts on his speed. Obviously, the coaching staff will work out his football IQ and his ability to read defence because I think defensively we have to have a good uh, person on that left edge because Michael Jennings was arguably one of the best defensive left centres with a high football IQ when he played on our left edge. Now, I don't know much about Jordan Rankin. Uh, he's uh, maybe 30 years of age. I, I, I don't see him playing a lot of first grade, to be honest with you, unless he jumps out of the box. But look, we've brought some interesting um, role players to add to the squad, to round out the squad. But I think there's some real upside there because they're going to come into a relatively settled team. Um, there's, with, as I said, I think there's 13 certainties for the top 17. That allows a high level of cohesion. And, you know, our spine will be the same. So there's a, there's a, our pack will be very strong again because our pack was not outgunned at all last year. We were very, very strong in the middle of the field. So I think that cohesion, these players coming in, they'll be fitting into a very cohesive unit. So all in all, it's a very solid squad. Um, outstanding coverage as always, Bernie. And I'm, I'm actually a little bit upset because you've actually preempted some of my talking points for later in the podcast. Um, <laughs> almost, almost down to the actual terminology, but that's um, just a reflection of just how well uh, studied you are for the Eels, which is always fantastic to hear. Um, now, and it sounds like you've also given yourself a bit of a rap there, too, Forty. Yeah, I suppose, but yeah, by complimenting Bernie and then and saying that you know he's, he's sort of stolen my ideas, I'm I'm sort of getting myself a pat I'm on just, the back. I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Yeah, you know, hey, it, mate, you got to wrap you got to wrap yourself, don't you? Yeah, it's 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 <laughs> see the way I see it is it's good to have something of an ego. You know, you got to you know deflate it sometimes, but you also got to talk yourself up a little bit. So. Yeah, there, there's me, you know, just sort of in the shadow praising myself by praising Bernie. But yeah, um, he, he, as always, you know, Bernie brings such fantastic points to the table. Um, and yeah, the, the the talk about the depth options for the Eels is always really interesting to hear about recruitment strategy and, and what they can bring uh, to the Eels in 2021. Um, now, speaking of that squad, um, if we're going to get a little bit more lighthearted, it doesn't have to be lighthearted, I suppose. Um, but if we're going to nominate a New Year's resolution for any player in that team, in the Eels... Um, who would you pick and what would the resolution be, Bernie? Oh, the New Year's resolution, I think quite for, for I'll put it this way, for our spine players, Gutherson, Moses, Dylan Brown, Reed Marnie, and also our backup, Roach and Lusick, those hookers, I just want us to stay healthy. That, my New Year's resolution for the Eels, quite frankly, across the entire squad, is that we stay relatively healthy. You're going to get injuries, we know that. Excuse me. We don't need or want major injuries, long-term injuries to our squad, particularly our spine players. So, yeah, I'm, I'm just hoping, because, you know, staying healthy, there's a very fine line. Look at Manly. Before Tommy Turbo, who's, who's an elite of the elite Top player, Top four contender, and then you fall off and you bottom four. And, and miss the eight. So yeah, 13th, I think. Yeah. There's a very fine line between teams 
there's a very fine line in games. Like, you know, we're all seeing games where it's a, a bit of a, an arm wrestle for the first 20. One of the teams loses one of their absolute mm-hmm. guns and they get like 35-5 or something. So It's a simple aspiration, know, but it's an important one, Bernie. So, yeah, very... The other one, the other New Year's resolution for the club in general is if we return to big crowds at Bank West... I think that's it's not only good commercially for our club, but it's also atmospherically for our players just to set the tone. And we're a very we're a very tough commodity to beat at Bank West when there's a big crowd. And that, you know, like it or not, the reality is that permeates the players. It, it absolutely helps the players. We've got that big pro Parramatta crowd at uh, the beautiful Bank West Stadium. And just leading on from there into our final question for you, Bernie. Uh, what's your early call? for uh, our Eels in 2021. And on top of that, which team do you rate as having the best chance for the Premiership next year? Yeah, look, when I look at next year, I had a little bit of a think about it. I, You look at which teams are going to improve and which teams may get worse. I think there's, I've, I've identified five teams. I've just set the yield aside for the moment. I've identified five teams that I think are going to be very strong again and that's Storm, Roosters, Panthers, Raiders, South. Mm-hmm. South with, you know, when you've got Latrell Mitchell effectively as a new player next year and I think Latrell is starting to mature, I think you'll see the best football. I still don't think you'll see the best football from Latrell until he's 24 or 25. So he's still only 23. So I think he's a big ad. I think Jai Arrow is a good ad for them. I think South, if they're healthy, will be good. I think the Raiders, I looked at the Raiders top 17 the other day. They're very, very strong. And the thing with the Raiders, most of their players are in the sweet spot of their careers. So if Josh Hodgson stays healthy, and I know they did all right with, with, without him last year, but they need him to win the comp. I think the Raiders, they win a lot of home games because no one likes playing in Canberra. They'll be up there. I think they'll be strong. And of course, I think Storm Roosters and Panthers will be strong again. There's some improvers. I think the Titans look like improving, at least on paper. They've recruited well with Peter and Masali and one or two others. I think Holbrook's a very good coach. The Bulldogs will improve. I don't think they'll make the eight, but I think they'll improve. I think Manly, if they're healthy, will improve. And I also think Todd Payton will improve the Cowboys. Now, it's easy to say when you're running down the bottom of the comp, but I, I think there'll be an improvement. I'm not sure they'll make the eight. I don't think they will, but they'll improve, which leaves... You know, Eels, Knights, Tigers, Broncos, Dragons, Warriors. Now that I look at specifically the Eels, I do think we'll be strong again. I think we'll join those other five teams I mentioned earlier and be, be up there. So I, I personally have us and those other teams, I'm not sure of the order yet, in the top six. So I think there's two spots available next year. And I think Sharks and Knights, who made the eight in 2020, will be under the comp in 2021. I know the Knights have picked up... Um, Tyson Frizzell, but they're going to lose Talon Ponga for the first X number of weeks. Um, Tigers, Broncos, Dragons, Warriors, they're, they're, you know, it's very difficult to, to predict what they will do. I think the Eels will be up there. So those, I think that, I think they were the top six, Storm Roosters, Panthers, Raiders, South Eels, not necessarily in that order, but I think they'll be up there. For our Eels, we need, you know, on paper, we haven't dramatically improved our roster. That's just the reality. Now, when you do that, you need incremental improvement in individuals, which then translates to a collective team improvement. But we still have a very good squad. You know, we, we need to improve a few things tactically. I think our red zone offense, particularly on the right side, needs to be looked at. And, of course, the left side becomes an issue with Jenko not being there, which is why I think you'll go for the best defensive option at left centre. Um, so we need to fix that. You know, as, a very, as I said before, there's a very fine line between finishing third and fourth and 
finishing seventh and eighth, or if you have a few bad weeks, suddenly you drop out to ninth or tenth, and injuries have a huge impact on that. Look, our top 17, we're going to be reasonably settled, except for that bench where we're bringing players in that I think will improve our bench. So we're having cohesion, which is very important. So, you know, I think if we're going to make the top four again, Mitchell, Moses and Dylan will need to stay healthy for the predominant amount of the season. And in addition, they'll have to, they're, they're both very good, but they'll need to take their games to an improved level to make the top four. I think it's going to be very competitive at the top end. And then when you make the playoffs, you know, we're one and five over the last three years. We made the playoffs, 17, 2017, 19 and 20. Now, clearly... We need to start getting to week three or the grand final, you know, the grand final qualifying game and making the grand final. Now, Southwood made the last three consecutive grand final qualifying games or the preliminary final games and lost. So they're starting to uh, realise they've got to go to the next level. But for the Eels, we need to get to that grand final qualifying game and then, obviously, really, once we get there, focus on getting to the GF and winning the comp. But I think we'll have a very strong year. I looked at the draw. I think the first couple of months is easier than the last couple of months. Yes, so I'd like to 100%. Get out to a, the middle of the season. It's a bit of a hodgepodge with origin and everything. It's just sort of hanging on to be like most teams in the middle of the year. But the first third, the first eight games, I'd like to think we can get out to five and three, six and two. You make a good start. And we'll need that because the middle of the year, we're going to have origin players again, which is a good thing. And the back... The last couple of months, the last eight weeks, it's pretty demanding. So you'd like to have some money deposited in the bank, uh, such as we did this year. When we started to falter a bit in the back half of this year and our form dipped a little and the intensity dipped, dipped a little, we had the deposits in the bank early in the year. We could draw on that and that allowed us to, to win some close games and make the top four. But we're a candidate for the top four. It's going to be a very big ask because those teams I mentioned, they're very good teams. So... Look, if we make the top four again, um, I think the club would be very, very happy with that as a, for 2021. I think it has to be the goal, Bernie, because as you said, it's time for Parramatta to feature in a grand final qualifier. Absolutely. And in order to get into that grand final qualifier, if you're in that top four, you win first week of the finals, you're there in the grand yep. final qualifier. Absolutely. So, yeah, I agree with you. It, it, that that top four, critical grand finals qualifier, critical. So, uh, I'm preempting a little bit of about what I'm going to say a bit later. But um, yeah, 100% agree with you there, mate. And look, thank you again for joining us throughout the back half of the 2020 with the final series. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, obviously, we'd like to wish you and Peggy and the family all the best for Christmas and New Year and uh, we certainly look forward to catching up with you in the new year uh, with Parramatta winning. I hope so mate no, to, to you Craig and John I think what you're doing with the podcast are great and uh, I'm happy to be a part of it and I think the club's in a very strong position on the field and off the field and uh, yeah, long, I just hope we stay healthy next year if we stay healthy we'll be a very competitive club 100%, Bernie. Thank you so much for all the time you gave us this year, mate. You have a wonderful uh, wonderful holidays and a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Merry Christmas to you guys too. Cheers. As always, a wonderful segment from Bernie. Um, and like we said, we're always hugely appreciative of him taking out his time to help us with the tip sheet, and we look forward to working with him in 2021. Uh, but moving on with the podcast, 
couple of um, talking points and burning questions for the Parramatta Eels that came up recently. Um, we head off with Daniel Alvaro's departure from the club. He's joined the St. George Illawarra Dragons on a two-year deal. Um, so he leaves one of his uh, Azuri teammates, Nathan Brown, to join another in Port Vaughan. And the, the few notes I've got on Paul's departure, um, he closes the books on Brad Arthur's first season as a coach of the Eels in 2014, um, with David Gower and Penny Terepo already retiring. Um, Polo was the last member, and he wasn't part of the NRL squad, but he was part of the reserves um, squad that year. So that's the last active member of the 2014 team at the club, which is kind of crazy because um, Brad Takarangi's gone, he's 2015. And um, I think me and you were saying that after that, it's all 2016 onwards, isn't it? Uh, very much is. Yeah, just, it's, just uh, crazy. I mean, and I know that you've got something lined up for the website for the, about this, but it's just, yeah, really interesting seeing the transition of of playing talent in terms of we've got lots of Parramatta guys in the team now. It's not That's not an issue. It's just that they're all relatively fresh faces. Well, if you were following the Eels back in 2015 and you'd been overseas for the last five or six years and came back and had a look at the Eels roster, mm-hmm. it, it would look completely foreign to you. You'd be saying, Who, well, who's that? okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So... Even even if you were following the Eels in 2017, it would There's be there. still quite a bit of churn from the there, same. exactly. You know, Corey Norman gone. Um, the back line is completely new look from 2017. Uh, and the forward pack's got plenty of fresh faces as well. So, yeah, um, fascinating bit of roster transition there for the Eels. Um, and, you know, beyond beyond that, uh, Polo's departure means that we've got another top 30 spot free. Um, you already alluded to it with Bernie. I think officially we're at 27, but that's with Michael Jennings included. Um, so we, uh, as we know, are obligated to have 29 NRL contracted players by the close of the preseason, uh, which will be at the end of February and March. Um, and we know that historically the Eels under Brad Arthur and now Mark O'Neill like to keep the ears close to the ground in regards to player movements. And in, in line with that, they also love a bargain. So it wouldn't come to a, a surprise for me, at least, to see the Eels casting it into the player market and see what it snares. Um, if there's a club willing to foot the bill on a, you know, a, a good middle forward or a centre, I reckon that would be pretty interested. Yeah, and just uh, just on what you've spoken about so far, I think, uh, first of all, a big thanks to Polar for his time at the club. He's always been a tremendous role model. Awesome, for awesome club, man. Anyone that's had a chance to speak to him, he's always got time. Yeah, absolutely. And for his his own career, he's... for the As far as the Dragons are concerned, he's in that sweet spot of being around a hundred and around that 100, close to 100 first-grade games. So he'll bring experience. He brings stability to their side. He's generally, his, his availability is quite good in terms of uh, his health and fitness. So, and as you often say, 40, the best ability is availability. Mm-hmm. So he'll bring, he'll bring that to the Dragons. And from the Eels' perspective, Obviously, Parramatta wanted to move into a slightly different direction with their options from the forwards. And with regard to that, they've probably got... uh, They'll be asking different types of questions from the bench. And that gave Polar the opportunity to move on and secure two years with another club where he was maybe a little bit uncertain about what his use was going uh, to be, exactly. how the A might have used him this year. So You can see where both yeah. sides of the of the, the two parties are coming from. You know, Alvaro, a former Ken Fournette medalist for the Eels in 2018, where he had a fantastic season. 
um, sort of that classic workhorse prop. And the Eels have obviously sort of restructured their forward pack somewhat, and he's been surplus to requirements in terms of the top 17. And we've got two props in Junior and, and Reg that play obscene minutes as it is. So competition for the remaining uh, minutes available in a given game is fierce, and the Eels are sort of trending towards more explosive uh, dynamic middle forwards, I, I imagine, in that regard. So sort of made Polo surplus the requirements as a week-to-week player, and, and he gets to go to a club that... Um, we'll talk about it later in our, one of our sections, but um, a club that's probably going to be trending upwards under a new coach. So a, a, an exciting opportunity for Polo at the Dragons. That's right. And as you were just saying, with the roster spots that are now available, it's interesting what direction we go in. Now, in having a little bit of a look at the Eels squad, and Bernie touched on this, we might be a little bit light in terms of middle forwards who are immediately below that top 17. So if if there's some injuries, does that mean that your likes of Hollis and Hughes end up debuting early? I'm talking about once you start to get two or three injuries. Yeah, I, I'd imagine you, you sort of spoke about it already, but Dave Hollis is a little bit behind the eight ball in regards to being outside of the NRL bubble this year. But... Uh, it's hard to see the club not debuting Sam Hughes in that scenario. I think he's almost yep. first cab off the rank in that regard, assuming that he can get through a preseason healthy and um and you know be right for round one, uh, if the, if you know that were to happen. But yes, um, it it, it was sort of in that weird situation where the, the middle depth for the club is fantastic, ju- in like just ahead, but in the short term we are a little bit stretched and we'd be probably be asked to. Uh, lean on guys like Papali'i and Niakore as a prop more than anything else if that were to happen. So if we can just... Yeah, the, the other thing too is you've got clubs in the NRL at the moment that are using lighter forwards in that lock position again and they're, they're almost like a, a very mobile, uh, smaller forward, mm. uh, even smaller than Nathan Brown who's not... He's not huge, but he's not exactly small. But you, when you when you get the likes of Victor Radley or Cameron Murray or all those blokes that are um, not the traditional big middle well, forward, they're, they're almost the traditional lock forward in a, in a sense, aren't they? It. Harkening back to the Ray Prices, if you ever saw Price, he's not exactly a physical powerhouse. But uh, that's right. Uh, yeah, so it's not the conventional modern-day lock forward where it's sort of almost trended towards a third prop at times. But, yeah, teams have um, harkened back to that mobile, ball-playing, dynamic presence in the 13. And, yeah, it's certainly influencing squad construction, uh, construction now, isn't it? It is. And, and maybe that means that they don't go to recruit a prop, but maybe a more another versatile forward who's really on the fringe rather than a name. My thoughts are that I think we will see action around centre recruitment. I've heard nothing about the who. But the the interest is is obvious, isn't it? That um, even if Oldfield or Opportunity come out of training uh, training camp and pre-season having starred, we're we're razor thin at depth at centre. If something happens to one of those guys, you know, we're, we're talking about putting... Ryan Madison or Blake Ferguson at centre. Yeah, yeah. So. Or, or 
as uh, as Bernie alluded to, Michael Oldfield could play centre, but you've it, it, Hayes Dunster in a in a. He, uh, I have seen him play centre in the in the juniors, but like it was so few and far between that uh, it's almost you know not on the the playing CV, is it? It's he's a specialist no. winger. He's he's very much developed as a specialist winger, so I think there's recruitment around that centre position that's going to occur regardless of whether it's a high-quality centre or someone who's capable of playing first grade. But you'd have to think that there's a bit of coin there now with Polar leaving. And it's not. I'm not saying that Polar was on huge On money. the big dosh, but it just it does free up another... A little... I mean, because the Eels would have had, would have had a little bit of banked away given the amount of spots yeah. that got open... And yeah, it adds up to another little bit of war chest. And they're not going to go out and say, all right, you know, let's go get one Latron Mitchell or something of that caliber in terms of a high profile potential center. But it means that if someone were to be made available and, and another club's willing to pick up a little bit of the bill, maybe you can sort of stretch that into a pretty handy player. Yeah, so that's this, this center question is probably the burning question for a, a mm-hmm. lot of supporters. And if. If you're looking at what we do with whatever is available in the salary cap with Polar departing and with us already having um, two or three spots before available before Polar departs, then you're saying there's a bit of there's a bit of money there. What do we need to make a priority? Obviously center is now the priority. So in terms of the loading of how that money ends up being spent, you'd have to think a bit more is going to be spent on centre than it would be on a middle forward because, as I said, I think they've got those options with how you play the the uh, third middle forward in the in the team brings in that capacity for a, a smaller forward. So Ray Stone might get more of a look in. You never know there. Um, it's it's really that priority of those backs. And I and I also think, even though this isn't relating to centre, when it comes to backs, I just feel that we need another backup half. You've got Will Smith there that's uh, locked in as uh, one of the uh, backups that can play in the halves. Jordan Rankin. I just think you need it's like- Jordan Rankin. He's been He's probably been training as much around the fullback position so you got, you got you got guys that can be the off playmaker, the secondary, you know, guy, yeah. or technically tertiary in our structure because you can use Quentin Gufferson as your secondary playmaker if um, if one of the halves were to go down and then you you leverage the other half as your primary playmaker and then the the fill in sort of just you know distributes the balls we saw with Jai Field in twenty twenty. But yeah, uh, there is a, a a need for a backup playmaker, um, and you've already mentioned a name that it could end up being um, if Jake Arthur continues to excel in the preseason, he might end up getting a a call to the top 30 and, you know, it's a big call to then, you know, throw him into the NRL, but maybe it depends what's available on the market. So, yeah, I think, I think they won't rush Jake. I don't think we'll see him looking at any NRL debut until 2022. He, he is a genuine, genuine halfback talent. Of that, there's no, question whatsoever but he's only been able to play one NYC game 
Oh, sorry. Fleet game. It's gone through. It's gone through that many iterations, and (laughs) and to be fair, it was always the NYC throughout the Toyota Cup and the Holden Cup. So I certainly got used to calling it NYC over even the cups. But yeah, now we're back to Jersey Flex. (laughs) It's um had yeah more name changes than uh, geez, anything you can think of really. When his time comes, he's gonna be he's gonna be ready. He's gonna be confident, and I think he'll he'll have a very good first grade career. But I think we have to look at other options for 2021 before we put any pressure on the young ones. And you've probably noticed that I haven't been writing about the young ones at this stage during their pre-season, haven't been naming them. I I have named Jake Arthur because it's impossible not to name Jake. And and to be fair, the the club has also freely made it clear that Jake is training. He's been pictured in every gallery and, and competing in the time trials and whatnot. So Yeah, yeah. He's he's been leading a lot of the conditioning runs and he's been quite outstanding at, at training. He's gonna he's featured in media, he's featured in mainstream media with articles that were talking about him the NRL preseason. So there was never any way of of him not facing pressure with being the coach's son and being part of their training this year. So he's been mentioned in my reports, but I think we have to have a little bit of patience with how these young blokes are. There's a lot of talent that's there in the young ones coming through, but I'm pushing them back to 2022 and uh, and further in terms of when it will happen for them. I, d- I just don't want to put any pressure on them but um mate just uh i've i've probably almost segued into giving a bit of a my uh wrap up for training. Yeah, we've almost uh. jumped in uh, before we get there i will mention that yeah so we, we've talked about the center question um i think tom opachik's probably got the inside running um oldfield is more of a traditional winger but he can play center um the eels do have options available like blake ferguson too um he has played a little bit of center not so well for the eels in the one time he did it for us but um, if they do want to run with Hayes Dunster on one flank and Mike Seve on the other, you can put Ferguson at centre. Um, yeah. But the other spot, we were talking about spots that are lacking a bit of depth, and you mentioned the halves. The other spot I feel we're sort of short in depth at the moment is edge, as in edge back row. So um, you've got Sean Lane who can play there, but was trending towards being a sort of like a tweener, uh, spending time in both the middle and the edge, and obviously Madison's a specialist on the right. But yeah, the, the club is um, a little bit skinny on edge back row depth, and We've been linked to a good young prospect in the media a couple of times recently. Um, that's probably uh, indicative of our interest in shoring up that spot. Um, I, I referenced Brandon Piakura, who the Daily Telegraph has tied us to a couple of times. So I, I think the club would be keen to pick up a, a good young back row if they can as well. So, Yeah, that's probably a fair call in terms of the recruitment. And uh, when the club's quiet at the moment with nothing leaking, that's always that time when I think something's going on. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like the the rips at the ocean, right? You can't see anything under the surface because it's all still, but you know that there's a fierce current underneath, and the club's getting plenty of work done. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to monitor. The, I mean, we mentioned it, but the eels are always busy; they're always on the phones making calls and and sort of seeing who's available for what price. Because we do love um, picking up a, a sort of a good bargain player with another club chipping in, and it, it's I mean we've talked about it. it's a good salary cap model. To, to be competitive with the teams that can offer TPAs. So we've, we've certainly I, made... I, 
And I think it's a good model too when you've got four current Origin squad members, when you've got players outside of that Orange, uh, of that Origin squad, uh, like Ryan Madison, like Mitch Moses, like Dylan Brown, who who are going to make their presence felt. Uh, and and when you've got someone that Bernie mentioned, like Murata Nyakore, and interestingly, because you you talked about that maybe a little bit of a, a, a depth issue around a genuine edge forward, is that uh, Bernie said it's pretty hard for someone once they've transitioned from an edge to a middle to go back to the edge. And Murata's probably the prime example of that because he got that just that little bit bigger and his mobility. Yeah, and it, that, that sort of percentile bit. loss in your lateral agility is huge. It doesn't yeah. it doesn't mean much sort of like play to play until the play happens and you can't make that tackle or you can't make that line break because you just you, you have got the ability to step left or right as quick as you would otherwise be if you'd been a specialist edge back row. So yeah, Murata's obviously That's a right. fantastic player. But he's a fantastic middle forward that can flex to edge if needed be. So that's why we'd probably want to find ourselves more of a specialist option in that regard. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, you've, you've sort of alluded to a fair chunk of your, your preseason training uh, wrap, but um, there's probably a little bit more to uncover. Uh, what have you seen across the sort of November and December months, bearing in mind that we haven't had a full squad return because of the jumbled schedule um, with our rep guys coming back uh, early next year? Yeah, well, we've had only three weeks of pre-season and within within that three weeks the more experienced NRL boys have only been back for one week. What I can say, looking back across the start of the pre-season compared to other pre-seasons and this is backed up a little bit by a little bit of mail that I've had from within inside the club as well is that the players continue to return for their early pre-season fitter than previous pre-seasons. It seems to be a trend which is building year on year on year. You've had PBs or close to them being recorded by a lot of the players as evidence of that level of fitness coming back. Um, You've got all of them now on a two-week break. They'll be back January 4. The Origin boys will be just a little bit after that, a week or so maybe two weeks after they get back. Um, I don't really want to mention anyone outside of those who've been back for three weeks. It's even even saying that I was impressed with Moses in his first week back. We're really just talking about a, one week of pre-season there. So if I'm going to nominate the players to stand out from the pre-season up till now, the, I, I've mentioned him earlier, uh, Jake Arthur's probably right up there in terms of uh, players who have been outstanding because he's pretty much led all the conditioning runs. It's going to be interesting to watch Guffo. Yeah, have a, having a real challenge and nipping at his heels. And we know that uh, Gufferson doesn't back down and likes to really uh, assert his dominance in the fitness stakes. So <laughs> that's... Uh, oh, yeah, he's... He's he is ultra competitive when it comes past. to the time oh. trials. Yeah, ultra competitive. He takes it personally. Um, I don't know yeah. if anyone that's seen The Last Dance and Michael Jordan and sort of leans back in his chair and he said, I took that personally. 
that's um that's Quentin Gufferson when it comes to the fitness uh, challenges at the Eels. If um if it's Dylan Brown or if it's uh, uh Reese Davies recently as well, if anyone comes for the crown, Gufferson lets them know that you know you, you can't miss if you're coming for the king. Well, speaking of Dylan Brown, he's been the other one. He's right on Jake Arthur's heels in terms of the conditioning, and he's obviously taken the challenge as well because it's it's real nip and tuck between the two of them when it comes to their conditioning work. And um, I've liked what I've seen from both of them on the football front as well. There's been a bit of footy uh, simulated plays that have been part of the training so far, even though it's this early into the pre-season with so many new faces that are there. They have to get their footy basics. They can't rely on training sessions being just conditioning. Like back in the old days, there were players and teams that wouldn't even see the football for the first number of weeks. It would just be players being physically flogged during those first weeks. Of yeah, old, old school conditioning. Before, oh, before yeah, Christmas, you get hammered. Stuff. And then after Christmas, you start doing your, your skill work. And these, right, these days, it just doesn't work that way. No, and the, the interesting thing too about all of that is that the sports science has really evolved with understanding how to extract the best out of players. And one of the things that has come about from the studies of training players and, and creating the best pre-seasons is that players, if you launch straight into really a heavy training load right from the start that you run that risk of injury because mm-hmm. if players come back from a, a lighter off-season and players, well, smart players, they're going to be training during their off-season. But if you are coming back from a very light load and all of a sudden it's bang, heavy load, that's where you're going to get some injuries. No, you definitely have to ramp it up correctly. And we've spoken about this on the podcast in the past in, in reference to I've, I've actually had a chance to talk to one of the Parramatta physios uh, back when I was rehabilitating for my Achilles. And there, there's absolutely a schedule they operate within where you're trying to keep players redlining um, in a sort of healthy range where they're sort of building up, building up. And then if you can keep them operating within a certain physical range, um, you minimize the chance of injury barring freak injuries uh, by an absolutely like obscene amount. It is ridiculous the importance a preseason has, and it's why you so often see a guy that comes off an injury and misses the preseason comes back so slowly and, and is another high injury risk of hurting himself again. So that's it's, right. Yeah. It's a huge, it's huge benefit to be able to perform uh, throughout the entire preseason. And yeah, it's fascinating seeing how it's transformed from the club perspective, from being that you know complete fitness flog prior to the Christmas break to being that uh, sort of combined arms balanced approach. And the clever way, of course, is that you create games that are not just skill-based, but they need some level of conditioning as part of the uh, the game. So you see quick-fire games like four-tackle, two-handed touch, where there's kicks that are happening after the third tackle with all the kick chases. You you see the games of Fijian touch or um, 
other other types of games that they have where the action is absolutely non-stop for about five or ten minutes and the players are probably getting as much from that as they are from doing sets of uh, interval running but they're getting it in a in a circumstance which is more akin to the type of demands that are on yeah, their body. Sim- simulating more game-like conditions and in that light yes. The other thing that they've been big on is operating under fatigue within game conditions, and that's something that they've been a real point of emphasis at training for the last sort of uh, eighteen months or, or thereabouts, if not longer. Is you know yeah. getting these these guys tired because in games, you know, when it's out past the twentieth minute, you're going to start getting pretty tired when you're operating at such a high level, and your ability to defend your goal line or execute, you know, the offensive play that's called is predicated on your fitness and your ability to be you know focused and con- having concentration. Uh, throughout that entire sequence of events, so yeah, the club's been pretty on the ball for that sort of thing, and it's been reflective in our ladder finishes. So it's one of the things that amazed me is that there was a rumor or a school of thought that seemed to grow a life of its own that we got our training wrong and trained them too heavily, trained the squad too heavily in the preseason last year, which led to some of the form in the back half of the season. And I thought, I, I don't know where these things get their basis from. It's like someone's made up an idea or someone's put forward a thought and then all of a sudden everyone's buying into it. It's, where, it's the, mean, the entire theme from Inception. The most powerful weapon is a thought. Um, oh, as soon as it, it's amazing watching one of those, uh, you know, things take seed and sprout is that, you know, all it takes is a little bit of traction on social media and all of a sudden it's a, uh, a legitimate inside source that's saying that the team trained too hard and they're reviewing their practices and whatnot. So, yeah, I mean, uh, certainly the, we, we know the Eels can improve in certain facets on the field, but you know, I feel like their preparation is pretty solid these days. And reviewing practices is part of every team's uh, review of their yeah, self, self, self review is a huge done. part of it. Exactly, you do yeah. your exit interviews and your sort of self auditing, um, and it's not always on the scale of what happened after twenty eighteen, which was you know an outlier. But you absolutely review what you did during the course of a season and how you approached it and how you can improve it. So, look, um, but the yeah. uh, the crazy thing about that is just just taking that as an example on its own that the this this thought that was out there is that first of all you can see the build that happens during a pre-season and then it, there's like a, a taper that comes into it as it becomes more football orientated as as you start to get to the, the start of the season itself. So you're, you want your players fresh. But then last year, there was the COVID break that then happened. So players were just training on their own for a long period of time before they came back in and then Parramatta players seem to do quite well because they hit the ground running when they came back to that short, very, very short pre-season that all teams were then asked to do prior to the competition kicking off again. And Parramatta hit the ground running with a, a, a string of form. And then, like in any season, every team goes through a period where there's a little bit of a slump in the form. And... I can tell you watching Parramatta's training that as they hit that, they immediately had uh, a period of time where the training was modified a little bit. 
And by the time it was approaching the finals, the players were just jumping out of their skins again. And and there was nothing in that related to um, physical conditioning that I thought it, that was behind either the final losses. So I didn't see any evidence of fatigue no. in the way that we were playing. Yeah, it certainly wasn't but, like after the 60th minute we just completely dropped our bundle because we couldn't make a tackle or hold on to the ball because of a lack of fitness. It's no, no. You know, the X's and O's that certainly could be um, brushed up on and you know, just in general executing in big games, which is easier said than done. And I think that they always made strides towards that in 2020, even if they did get bundled out in straight sets. You know, they offered the Storm yeah. their most competitive game en route to the championship or the premiership, as it were. Um, yeah, and so certainly, um, yeah, we'll, we'll get onto that throughout the course of the sort of preseason podcast as well, I think, as we address... Yeah, so what- just, to ra- just to wrap up what I was saying with the, um, with the, the training and how it's looked, as I said, certainly Jake Arthur and Dylan Brown have been uh, standouts in the conditioning work. Bryce Cartwright has looked absolutely outstanding. I've said in my reports, I think he is, in all likelihood, the most physically fit forward that I've seen at Eels training in the time that I've been watching Parramatta prepare for a preseason. That's a that's a pretty high bar because Eels have had you know a number of uh, relatively fit forwards during their time on the Brad Arthur's tenure. I mean, I know that you know, Nathan Brown usually pushes pretty hard in the fitness stakes. Um, you've had Junior Polo the year past came out of the box working really hard, and uh, you know even guys like Maradona Kore and Oregon Kafusi, they're no chumps when it comes to the fitness. Well, so. what I can say to you is, he is he's absolutely outstanding. There's, I don't think you could ask for more. And when you are looking at him taking any any of the runs that they do that involve an arc. He actually will take the outside lane, so he's running further. Yeah, so he's not cutting the corners. He's pushing no, himself, yeah. Yeah, absolutely pushing himself. Uh, Papa Lee, I think, has been outstanding, not just in conditioning, but when they've done any of the opposed, any of the footy simulations, he just looks like he's got something. It's the lines that he runs. It's his involvement. He just looks like he's a, a major point of difference. Uh, Nathaniel Roach, he's caught my eye with the the skill set that he's got real close and around the ruck. I think he's going to ask some questions if he ends up getting um, upgraded to where they can use him off well, the Well, I think we, we talked about uh, that sort of open spot in the top 30 um, when we were back at the pole of departure segment of the podcast. And Nathaniel Roach really stands out to me as a prime uh, candidate to be upgraded from development to to top 30, but it should also be um, mentioned that I think the way that the development contracts are now structured, um, the Eels don't actually gain a slot if they were to promote someone from the top uh, to the top 30 from the development deal because we've got six development players contracted, and I think the league standard is now four, but because the essentially the Eels were grandfathered in um, their six development contracts that they had before the changes were ratified. So is that is that right, or am I making this up? No, I think you're. I think you're spot on there. Okay, good. I'm. I'm not crazy. I'm not that crazy yet. <laughs> but um, yeah. Sort of talking about these guys raises uh, raises the point for me where you know going back to where I was almost patting myself on the back in regards to what Bernie said. Um, I, in my show notes here, when you gave me the run sheet, I sort of jotted down for that segment. You know, of which recruits will give us the most value. I've got that. Um, you know, the Eels had essentially bought a fistful of lottery tickets for 2021. Um, and there's you know a, hand, a handful of those guys could legitimately challenge for the, being the best value recruit. 
at um, relatively low risk to the club. And you've got obviously Bryce Cartwright headlining that and he's, you know, carving up at training. And you've got Nathaniel Roach, who is a fascinating player. He's, you know, centre, halves, ends up at hooker, um, absolutely dominant as a junior in the Warriors system before he had the unholy trinity of injuries. And I think he's down for an ACL, Achilles and back injuries. So he's had absolutely dog shit luck in terms of staying healthy, but he's passed the uh, rigorous health check that the Eels gave him, the medical, before he joined the club. And so it's just now a case of him having a bit of luck and staying healthy. And then, you know, you've mentioned Isaiah Papali'i, who's a, another fascinating tweener because he's a guy that I think they're queuing up for the middle, but he's got a bit of edge in his um, ability to play out wide and the way he runs lines. So, yeah, there's some very interesting additions to the club, and that's, you know, ignoring guys like Opachik and Oldfield, who, if I'm going to be honest, I keep forgetting that we'd had actually recruited Oldfield. Like, obviously, in this podcast, we talked about him at length, but putting up the show notes, I'm like, oh, man, yeah, we signed Michael Oldfield. So, yep. it's... a. Uh, yep. It's a pretty um, interesting recruitment class. No no real headliners, I suppose. Bryce Cartwright's kind of a headliner in his own way, given his unique circumstances arriving at the Eels. But, uh, yeah, just a, a group of guys that can contribute for and potentially contribute significantly. I mean, Cartwright's someone that could arguably push for a starting gig. If uh, I don't know how I want to phrase this, because obviously you look at Bryce Cartwright and say, man, can the Eels fix him? Because, you know, if you can fix him, you've got a superstar. And it's probably, I mean, obviously we, we, we want to, you know, quote-unquote fix him, but it's more a case of just uh, refining his uh, deficiencies and, and sort of helping his strengths. You know, we know that Bryce can make a bad decision and that defensively he can be lax. So you sort of just got to sort of polish it up as much as you can and then put him in a position to accentuate his strengths, which I think the Eels can do whether it's off the bench or as a starter. Yep. And um, just before I... I've got one other name that I want to mention from the the training wrap up, mm-hmm. and that's Hayes Dunster. Hayes Dunster looks like that one game in the NRL in the in the final series has added a new level of confidence. Yeah, about he, he, he wet his appetite his attitude, for his attitude. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, he's wet the appetite. He's come back. He, he looks in terrific shape. He's he, he might even be a little bit bigger. But when it comes to the physical conditioning, it seems like the further they go in each session, that he gets better. It's almost like the first run or two or the first sets of intervals that they do, that he's, he'll be up pushing up in the first half dozen or so. But then as it gets further and further, he's, he's right up with the leaders and... And I've seen him do a few little things in their footy simulations where I think to myself, I think you I think you might find the next level, mate. I think you're I think you're ready to step up. And uh, I'm gonna and I'm gonna come to that a little bit later, but let's let's now take this qu- quick look back and then a, a quick look ahead. So I'm gonna throw to you first of all, uh, Forty, with the question that we asked of Bernie. What was your highlight from 2020? And this, this is really fun because we went completely different routes here. I sort of looked at it from a team perspective, whereas you immediately jumped at one of the most iconic individual moments for the uh, for someone yes. from the Eels. And it's always cool to see that sort of um, dichotomy of thought. Um, for me, I, I couldn't keep it the one. I sort of went one regular season, one postseason. And I, I sort of circled that round seven victory over the, the Canberra Raiders, which was what jumped out to me thinking back on the season. Um, you know, we lost Mitchell Moses at the half. Um 
you know, we it's a premiership caliber opponent. They clawed their way back into the game on the back of a couple of dodgy calls. There was an absolutely awful miss forward pass that led to a, uh, a clutch try. And then later in the game, you had Mike Acevo penalized for a phantom head, uh, head high call. But instead of dropping our bundle and collapsing, we sort of turned to our talismanic captain and he slotted his first career field goal. So that was absolutely huge. And then, oddly enough, I sort of look at that Melbourne Storm loss. And I know I've spoken about this in prior episodes, but I sort of look at that Melbourne Storm loss as a highlight. Um, we got out of the blocks fast in a big game, which is something that we, we spoke about on the tip sheet as a point of emphasis. You know, not getting lost in the big lights and letting your opponents jump out to a two or three try lead and, you know, you're just digging yourselves out of a hole. Um, but we refused to go away in a game where we lost both Ferguson and Mike Acevo, and it ended up being Melbourne's most competitive game throughout the finals campaign. So we had we did have plenty to improve on coming out of that loss, but I feel like if you look back on it, it is an important highlight of the season. I have to go, as you said, with the individual. There's nothing better than one of the big blokes striding Big man out. season. Big man season. So, big man <laughs> season. And for that, it's RCG. His try against the West Tigers. What was he, 95 metres out? Was uh, it 95 I metres? think it was almost like 125. He sort of um, yeah. was behind, the, the, behind the end goals, yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's Come the, off the, back fence. the football yeah. edition of you know it was this big in terms of catching a fish. It's going to slowly stretch out across the course of his career. Yeah, it was about seventy five meters. You know, sort of step through the whole team, beat the fullback, um, double back around, and you know beat the other winger. But uh, he's um, it, that was a amazing moment. Uh, just uh, just whenever you see a whenever you see a prop break into the backfield, it's not too often that you then see them stand up the fullback, <laughs> run past them so they, they're clutching at thin air and then stretch out to avoid the final clutches of the winger coming from I think behind. I think that's probably the most underrated part of it is that at the end he, he doesn't panic and, and sort of force the double movement or lose the ball through that final contact over the try line. So that was a, the, finishes, the finishing touches of a consummate professional. Absolutely, absolutely. So now we've, we've been touching around this in terms of uh, we've, we've asked Bernie the question, we've given our thoughts on individual players. If the Eels don't add to their roster in terms of significant recruitment, based on who's in the roster at the moment, you've got to name your starting 17. I don't want any explanations about it, mate. Bang, your top 17, round one. Oh, that, that's kind of hard too because there's some big talking points in the back line and the bench because I'm, I'm much less confident about some of our back line picks than um, I would have been otherwise heading in, like, you know, heading into 2020 itself where you know, it looked like we had, and we did, we sort of had like one of the best back lines in the competition. Um, okay, I'll, I'll tell you right now, I've got uh, Gufferson, Blake, Dylan Brown, Moses, Paulo, Marnie, Campbell Gillard, uh, Lane Madison, Nathan Brown, and Maradani Akore as absolute certainties. And some of those plays are absolute certainties because of a lack of competition, uh, sort of at edge for Lane and, and at centre for Blake. And that, that's not a knock on either of those players, but it's just like they sort of win by default. Um, but for the back line, um, I, I think round one, it probably goes Gufferson, Sevo, uh Opachik, Blake, Ferguson. But I, I would not be shocked 
if Dunster was one of the wingers and either Ferguson is in the centres maybe or either one of Ferguson or Sevo gets jumped by the young winger in Dunster. I don't know. It, it's kind of kind of crazy. For the bench, um, near Kore, Kafusi. Oh. And this is where we get to the – we got, you know, six players going into two spots or even yeah, seven you've players. Just name two, you've just got to name two, mate. All right. And then right. we'll – Right now, I, I will assume that uh, we play – Read Marnie for 80 minutes at least at the start of a season. So I'll go Niakore, Kafusi, Papali'i, and Cartwright. I think I think Bryce will probably end up winning a spot in the bench. Okay. Now, I've got a couple of surprises. Here we go. Here we go. So here's my 17. Gutherson, Dunster, Blake, Opachik, Sivo, Dylan Brown, Moses, Paulo, Marnie, RCG, Hipgrave, Madison, Brown, Nathan Brown, Bench, Nikore, Lane, Papali'i, Cartwright. Now, could I be wrong? Obviously, Ferguson. I... He's not due back till the 4th of January, so I haven't been able to see what shape he's in. So I've actually let that dictate that... That's fair. That, that... I'm selecting in my selection of Dunster, but Virgo could come back in terrific shape. And and also, you know, sort of the the way the season ended with Virgo having a, a chronic knee issue, um, you know, he, he didn't have the greatest run of form. So that there are, like, you know... Factors that would influence that decision in terms of your your roster for the round one. And it is also worth mentioning that um, Rada is actually not available for round one. He will be serving oh, yeah. the last leg of his suspension. But uh-huh. we're, we're also sort of just picking like if everyone was available, who would be your round one team? So yeah, well, then we're looking at if if I'm then subbing him out straight away, I'd put Oregon straight in. So. That was another area where I could be wrong. I said I could be wrong with Fergo. I could be wrong then with the bench because you might get Roach getting an immediate elevation with the top 30 spots being available. You may get Stone being considered in the same sort of role as last year where uh, BA is going for all forwards, plays Reed Marnie for 80 minutes, but has Stone there as a backup yeah. to uh, give him a rest if it's, if it's needed, or as I suggested there, that Oregon comes in. Now, moving on, of the new recruits that we've that we've named that are even a chance of coming in, same question as, as we had with Bernie, who gives us the most value? Yeah, I mean, I sort of I, I jumped the gun there as well, but I think Bryce Cartwright's probably the the most obvious candidate. Um, there is no doubting that he is a sensational talent, but it's just a matter of you know rectifying some of his issues in defense and and play selection. But um, given that we you know we're rumored to have him on essentially the NRL equivalent of a a pie and coke deal, um, somewhere around you know just entry level six figures, which you know for the average person is a fantastic salary by the way, but in terms of salary cap construction is you know pennies on the dollar or cents on the dollar if you're not given that we're not Americans. Uh, 
yeah, I think that Bryce headlines that. I think Nathaniel Roach is um, compelling too because there is no doubting his talent. It's just a matter of staying healthy. Um, those two guys really sort of stand ahead of the pack for me. Um, I, I could be convinced that Hipgrave was a you know in there too because he's a, a very good example of roster mirroring. Um, you know, he's very similar to Nathan Brown in terms of um, attitude and and play style. Uh, he's got the same you know discipline issues that plague Brown early in his career until he sort of tidied those up under Brad Arthur. So he's a, a fascinating prospect to watch as to whether he can um, replicate what Brown did for us. And, you know, if he does, he becomes a borderline rep caliber player because he's got the assets, he's got the tools to be a, a fantastic contributor in the forward pack. It's just a matter of, you know, uh, not hamstringing himself in the team through boneheaded mistakes and penalties. I, I've gone for Cartwright with Sapaliki as your silver medalist really 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 very close i, I know well. that i know that papa lee has impressed you at training if anyone's been reading oh. reading 60s reports it's you know got to do with the the subtlety and the understanding of how to run his lines um he's yeah. he's been very nuanced and and explosive obviously you know being able to just run like knowing how to run the line is one thing but also you know breaking onto the ball with a bit of power is the other part of it but uh, Papali has been very impressive in the well, sorry, Papali'i has been very impressive in that regard. Papali'i offers that point of difference off the bench. So that's probably something where I think you're going... Uh, uh, when I say point of difference, I'm talking about a middle forward with a point of difference. Something different to what our other middle forwards run. There's just those, as you mentioned, the, the, the nuances of his play. Um, and for the same regard, that's why I also rate Cartwright with what he will provide off the bench. I mean, for, for Bryce, there is no doubting his talent. It's just, you know, you've got to clear up the head a little bit in, in regards to football. So, but yeah, uh, Papali is interesting because we do know that the Eels love to ball play around the middle a bit. They've got guys like Nathan Brown and Junior Paulo who are phenomenally gifted as ball players for forwards. And, you know, Papali might give them a weapon to use themselves. Correct. Correct. All now, right. yeah. let's just let's just change it up a little bit. Change gears. We're gonna look at off. this. Yeah, we're gonna look at this time of year now. So, I want you to. This can be any player in the in the NRL, mate. I want you to nominate any player and their New Year's resolution. What it's likely to be. Well, for the Eels, I think it's fairly straightforward and um, fairly or unfairly. Um, so much talk around this team surrounds Mitchell Moses. And for Mitch, I just think he personally would want to get a full season of quality football to his name, um, avoid the injuries that sort of niggled and plagued him this year, um, and sort of continue what he was doing in the early parts of 2020 where he was tempering his sort of over-eager nature um, and sort of dialing it back and playing with more measured uh, you know, com- uh, composure. Um, and if he can do that, he'll sort of naturally produce a, a campaign in 2021 that's equal parts measured and mesmerizing. For the NRL, geez, there's a there's a lot of players around the NRL you can sort of um, have a go at, whether it's comedic or not. Oh, I'm just trying to think who who really jumps out to me as an NRL player that need, desperately needs a New Year's resolution. Um, I think for Canberra Raiders players, they just want to, for no fault of their own, they'd like to stay away from the police. Um, you know, <laughs> and like I said, for, for no, oftentimes for no fault of their own, because we um, you know, saw uh, the centre from Melbourne Storm. Uh, gosh, his name now eludes me. Uh, 
goodness, the Melbourne, former Melbourne Storm Centre that joined them. Curtis. Uh, yeah, Curtis Scott had that awful run in um, with the, the police and then now their backup hooker um, is, you know, in the middle of a, an investigation in regards to potentially trying to grab an officer's weapon. So, the, um, you know, Curtis had no fault of his own for what happened there and now he's in the process of um, uh, undergoing action against the, the New South Wales cops. But, yeah, for the Canberra Raiders players, they, they want the police to stay away from them. That's their resolution. Maybe it's just a case for them of uh, finding the right time to stay away from the wrong place. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And I'm sure there's there's, um, there's plenty of um, on-field applications to that too, by the way. Yeah, look, mine, the Parramatta, I think Ryan Madison really has to find a gym somewhere. <laughs> he's, he's, he's in shocking shape. So, and anyone who's seen the photos that he's posted in his off-season will know that he's let himself go. <laughs> he needs to get into a gym quick smart. I'll give, uh, give Matto plenty of credit. For those that follow him on, on social media, on his Instagram and whatnot, he's actually quite creative when it comes to the home gym. Um, during the initial lockdown, he um, you know sort of made use of the, the garden chairs and whatnot to do his um, various dip routines and all that sort of stuff. So yeah, <laughs> he probably needs to find a, a gym somewhere to help him stack on the, the plates onto the bars and whatnot. The, the man does not have a day off, I swear. And uh, elsewhere around the NRL, I'm going to suggest that Josh Adokar's New Year's resolution will be that he wins the premiership with the Storm in 2021 because Lord knows there's going to be no more premierships coming to him after that point in time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and to be fair, the dogs are trending, or hopefully are trending up under Trent Barrett. But yeah, he's going from the penthouse to the doghouse quite literally here. Um, and that's yeah. you know metaphorically too, so that's on both levels. <laughs> and yeah, um, it's going to be a, a rebuild process for him at the Dogs. And some players, you know, enjoy that challenge. But you know, for Josh, he's going to leave with at least a couple of titles under his name, the, the Storm, and he secured that bag. So he's going to be paid uh, very handsomely for his um, performances at the Canterbury. Okay, now let me uh, throw you another question: What's if you were if you were a club? What would your new any club you can nominate any club? What would your New Year's resolution be? Well, I think we we're sort of on brand at the moment. I'm going to stick with the Canterbury Bulldogs, and I think for them, their aspiration, their resolution is going to be to, you know, climb out of the cellar because they've just been anchored to the bottom of the ladder for so long in the NRL. And I think with a new coach, there's been some inspired recruitment, if not for 2021 for 2022, but still you want to be you know climbing up and building from there. I think that. They're not top eight contenders, but I think that if they can sort of push to about 12th, um, that'll be, you know, 12th with an eye towards even, you know, edging towards the top eight. I think that's their aspiration, their resolution for 2021. And uh, I'm going to nominate Manly. I think their resolution will be that they, they're they going to stop pretending that they represent the Northern Beaches <laughs> and they're going to move their bubble to Blacktown. They've got Schools in the Western Sydney that are their it's true. schools. It's true. Westfield Sports High. Yeah. Yeah. They've got uh, Blacktown as their feeder club. They're, they love a player from Western Sydney. So as they begin their migration to Western, relocating in Western Australia, that stop off in Western Sydney is probably more indicative of where the club's at. So I think their resolution will be 
that they finally admit that they belong at Blacktown. I mean, and to so, be fair, the Seagulls moniker doesn't really work when you're that far inland. So I suppose we go something like the Blacktown Bin Chickens, and I'm um, sort of I'm um, crown them after the Ibis, maybe. Yes, yes. Now uh, you've you've we've touched on this before. Um, uh, Parramatta, we touched on this with Bernie. What's your what's your tip? Where where will we finish in the regular season? Yeah, I think you know we spoke about it with Bernie, but I think even if it's competitive with you know six or seven teams, assuming that you got the the six teams that are going to be year to year performers, and then like the one bolter from somewhere, uh, you're looking at a top four finish. That's got to be the goal. Obviously, minor premiership is amazing, but you're looking to get that top four finish. Get your two bites of the cherry. And, and, you know, it's a more than just the two bites of the cherry. I think it's a uh, – oh, goodness. Um, it's a a chance to speak towards the, the long-term viability of the team, of the club, um, you know, to cement yourself as one of the premier forces in the NRL, um, at least when it comes to the regular season with an eye towards, you know, becoming a, a, a force in the finals. But if you can go uh, back to sort of 2017 – top four. 2018, you sort of scratch out as an outlier, given what happened. 2019, fifth, 20, um, 23rd. Um, if you can get another top four finish, that really, you know, it's not just about recruitment, but it's about sponsorship. It's about membership. It's about the perception for the team itself. Getting that top four finish again speaks towards what the team has done and what the coaching staff have done and what the club has done. So that's why that's my goal for 2021. Uh, look, it's the same for me, I think. Top four has to be their goal, and I think they've got the squad that, if they finish top three in such a tough year last year, last season, then has to be where they go for this season as well. Who would you see as the danger teams in the in the premiership next year? Yeah, it's would, a bit it's a bit presumptuous for me to say it because I'll probably end up with egg on my face, but um. Uh, it's really hard to go past just like the traditional heavyweights. You know, you're talking about the Storm and the Roosters and then to a lesser extent the Raiders and the Panthers. Um, and then there's, you know, a few Flux teams like Bernie pointed out with um, the Knights and Cronulla. And I suppose South Sydney deserve to be in the – to be consistent with Bernie's top six as like the sort of the established premiership forces to some extent, whether it's, you know, at the top end with Melbourne and the Roosters and towards the bottom end for teams like us and South probably – who haven't quite you know, consolidated our ability to progress through the finals. Um, but if I'm looking at the, the rest of the competition, I, I'm curious to see how the Titans go. Um, I want to see if you know, second-year coach Justin Holbrook had them overachieving in 2020 or if they're really uh, you know, ready to consolidate and become a top-eight contender. Um, they just finished outside in 2020, obviously, but it's easy to overperform one year if I had expectation and then regress a bit in the second year. Parramatta fans are well aware of how that works. Um, and that's why it's been pleasant for us in the last couple of years to actually have consolidated form. Um, I think the the Warriors, who uh, we, we mentioned indirectly with Todd Payton going to the Cowboys, but I'm curious to see how the Warriors go with their new head coach, Nathan Brown, um, and hopefully less demanding work conditions. You know, hopefully they won't be anchored to the Central Coast away from their family and their friends and you know the normality of their everyday lives, and they have a chance to uh, build from what they did in 2020. And the team that I think is probably the, the cheekiest chance of being a bolter is probably the Dragons and they've had a fantastic roster for a number of years but have chronically underperformed they've got a new coach um, you know sort of burden uh, free of the burdens of the old regime um, maybe it's a chance for him to finally uh, find their form consistently well I'm gonna 
sound fairly similar to you, but I'm going to na- really narrow it down. I think, as much as it pains me to say it, I think the riff will be the danger team, provided that a lot of the players don't have that almost a second-year syndrome. Yeah, because the, I think the cautionary thing for me is that Penrith caught fire in a massive way this year. And, you know, that's not to say that they can't replicate some of that to an extent, but we've seen in the past, with us in 2009, and, uh, you know, you've had the the Bulldogs did it under Des Hasler, and there's been a couple of circumstances of it, the Cowboys in 2017, um, that when a team absolutely catches fire like that, they, you know, to sort of make the pun, they burn out a bit. Um, And it's, you know, it's hard to replicate that sort of form like they did across 20 rounds. Yeah. And... When it comes to the big surprises or the big movers, I'm going to nominate, as you did, the Titans and as you did, the Dragons, because I rate Cook as a coach and I think that he might just be able to eke out some of the best uh, performances from the talent that he's got in that squad. Now, we're just starting to wrap things up, mate. So. Um, very quickly, uh, do you have a personal Christmas wish? When when I put together the run sheet based on what you sent me, I actually read this initially as your personal Chris, uh, Christian Welch, and I'm like, what? Like, <laughs> you know, um, by all accounts, Welch is a, a fantastic stand-up individual, and having a personal Welch would be pretty swell. But I was like, wait, what? Oh no, Christmas wish. Okay. <laughs> um, oh, and some breaking news, uh, which won't be breaking by the time people listen to the podcast. But for us, uh, Jamin Salmon joins the Penrith Panthers, so a bit of a surprise. Um, we yes. saw we saw sort of the expectation being him to rejoin his um, junior club at Cronulla, but instead he heads further out west. So there you go. Um, but yeah, my personal Christmas wish. Um, yeah, for my for me, my family we've sort of been long removed from the uh, material gift giving aspect of Christmas. Um, we've never been huge gift givers in general, so yeah, that's not not a drama not to get a present. Um, but for me, I do a lot of cooking for the extended family, which is awesome. I, I really love to be in the the kitchen sort of uh, spreading my uh, culinary wings. Um, and um, this year's spread, we're looking at some homemade sausages, so stuffed with uh, pork mince, tomato, provolone and shallot and some cracked pepper. Um, then we've got some uh, chili lime prawns on the barbecue, um, this ridiculous citric herb roast pork shoulder that um, I, I adore, but um, it's very uh, flavour-intense and uh, it's a bit unfortunate because I know all of this is going to be overshadowed by the apricot glazed ham that we always do that my nieces absolutely love. So um, in, in short, um, I hope that everyone, including my family and everyone else's, just gets the chance to eat outrageously well and have a, a beautiful afternoon nap on the 25th. Mate, you're uh, pretty much a man after my own heart there because I am hoping for better times for the festive period and into New Year with uh, COVID as well mm-hmm. for for my family. We've, there's people in New Zealand who... Uh, certainly our loved ones that we haven't been able to see. It it takes a toll, so it just, you know, it it can be, you know, mentally and emotionally such a drain on on so many families. Unfortunately for myself, it hasn't really impacted our lives. But for those that it has, just stay strong and, and, you know, hopefully things can take a turn for the better. Yeah, so hopefully there's um, the future of that travel bubble between it Australia and New Zealand is that's that's my immediate wish mm-hmm. 
in the uh, better times with COVID that that opens up. And obviously then that means we get to see more footy as well if things are better with COVID. And that's that's not a bad thing as far as we're no, concerned. Um, now, mate, uh, your personal New Year resolution, we've, we've, we've put our, uh, we've projected it onto others with um, <laughs> either serious or not serious, but what's your... Yeah, I'll, I'll freely admit that unfortunately the classic resolution of um shedding a few um few kgs of spare tire wouldn't hurt me so that's certainly on the to-do list but uh right now i'm in the process of upskilling and learning a few new things so my thing now is just to stay committed to that and you know see it through and uh, pick up a new language there goes my puppy but pick up a new language and and you know add a few uh uh digital skills when it comes to video editing and whatnot Yes, mate. It's uh, again. We must be on the same wavelength because uh, I think I say it every year in terms of losing a few kgs, and I'd like there to are very, I can I mean, follow through. There are very few people that that doesn't apply to, and the ones that do, I curse you. <laughs> how dare you? How dare you hold yourselves to a higher standard? <laughs> and and like you, I'm also looking at doing a little bit of upskilling, and I think after this year. I do have a resolution that I'll get out and about a little bit more if uh, the restrictions are yeah, so. there. So, yeah. yeah. So now, finally, imagine that Parramatta was a person. Personify him. So, yeah. And, I, well, or you can just treat them as a team. So, as a, as a unit that they're making a New Year's resolution. What will the Parramatta New Year's resolution be? Well, if I'm going to completely personify him and, and make him, you know, the Parramatta Eels legally as Parramatta first name, um, I think that the, the weight loss adage is pretty fitting for them and they can afford to drop some kilos by throwing the 34-year-old monkey off their back and um, winning the premiership. Yes. So, you know, shed, shed some spare tyre that way. Uh, but if to be, you know, obviously the premiership is the ultimate goal, but, you know, it's such a fierce competition. Beyond that... I think that you know their aspiration should be to pace themselves slightly better across the course of the regular season, and uh, round the finals with a, a full head of steam, which is easier said than done. But you know we came out of the blocks real fast in 2020, and and we didn't you know peter out so much as that we sort of just weren't operating at full capacity heading into the finals. And I think that in the actual finals themselves, they reignited themselves and and gave themselves a really good honest acquittal against the Storm and the Rabbitohs. But you know having that little bit more momentum into, you know, a, a round one final Bank West would be amazing. For me, I think what I'd like them to develop, well, I want them to fully develop a winner's mentality. They proved mm. they could win ugly, they could be more consistent in winning 15 out of 20 regular season games. But I think it's it's not just a belief now that they need they need to understand how they are better than their opposition and execute it professionally. So that's uh, that that real mentality and execution of the mentality is is what I hope their resolution is going into 2021. So there we have it, mate. Yeah, there's a We've, actual heck of a heck of a podcast heading into the Christmas and New Year break and yeah, I was actually surprised looking at the run sheet of how much stuff there was to talk about that was, you know, not just filler. There was legitimately a lot of Parramatta news and, and discussion to be had, and I'm glad we got it off the table and onto the podcast. And yeah, Mate, on the tip sheet, on the tip sheet, it's all killer, no filler. You know that. <laughs> <laughs> that's the that's the slogan, isn't it? Yeah, put it right there. But yeah. So Merry a, Christmas to all of our listeners. Absolutely. Happy New Year, and um, 
thanks for enjoying or giving us feedback or uh, maybe even making some valid criticisms of what we've offered in the podcasts during this uh, back half of 2020. We look to be bigger, bolder, brighter. Yeah, well, it's, it's, it is all, all just exciting aspects now for us in 2021. You know, we're going to get uh, get 60 some new tech, so he's got a, a shiny new microphone to operate for, from his end if we're doing remote podcasting. And I think that, you know, we're hopefully looking to kick down the doors of some, you know, uh, never seen content in terms of uh, deals and whatnot. So, you know, just stay tuned and see what we can churn out in 2021. Thanks, mate. Merry Christmas to you. Yeah, Merry Christmas to all our listeners. And uh, we'll see you in 2021. Yeah, Merry Christmas to one and all. And thanks for the, the amazing ride that it's been in this singularly crazy year. Uh, we'll catch you guys on the other side.